Welcome, welcome. Hey, uh, Siobhan, are you aware that it is Black Music Month? Oh, no, I am not. You're not. You know, it's actually been around since 1978, but it doesn't really get the shine that's necessary, uh, especially in the year 2019. You know, but since we have access to Al Green's internet, and yes, <laughs> Al Green, not Al Gore, uh, we're going to dedicate some time today to what I feel personally is the greatest achievement in black music artistry, and that is hip hop. Now, we all know the, the history of hip hop. You know, it has its roots in uh, Cool Herc. He moves from Jamaica to the South Bronx. He brings that sound clash culture from his native island with him to New York, and it takes on its own vibe because party started, plays break beats, people start to rap on it. So, fast forward a few years, there's a multi billion dollar industry making a lot of people rich. But most of them do not look like the people who started hip hop. Which is an entirely different episode. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to save that conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. But hip hop actually goes back further beyond that. Uh, Siobhan, you want to touch on that a little bit? Yes. Uh, I think this is important to know the, the root of it because we are always um, swirling around with this particular narrative that hip hop and rap is not art, that it's not complex, that it's base. And while um, within hip hop, as Cool Herc, um, you know, sort of is that that beginning point of the art form, right? Um, you know, we do have fun and we do uh, talk about drinks and women and all these things, but we are still informing people. And um, where it goes back to is The Last Poets, which is a uh, several groups, actually, of poets, musicians who arose out of the civil rights movement and they're featured on uh, Common's album, uh, B, on the song The Corner. And uh, they say, this is our, our corner, this is our magic, this is our music, uh, this is our testimonial to freedom, to love, um, on the corner. So these are a group of people who are uh, arising from black nationalism, arising from this, this very radical place, and... Um, performing on street corners and informing the public and being very much part of uh, the conversation around um, black beauty or black struggle. And so from from there, that tradition, we see where the artistry of poetry kind of folds over into rap. The way that um, rap artists, their flow, the, the particular words that they use, the alliteration, um, is is actually just forms of, of poetry and um when you kind of take uh, the last poets which started in the late 60s by the time you get to like this big bang moment of of you know cool herc uh beginning hip-hop um that artistry comes with it and so um when we look at rap music and we look at uh, analyze and break down the, the word count and the use of uh, metaphor and the use of simile and, and um, the way that they, they craft these verses and these songs and these albums as huge pieces of, of artwork. Um, it's very complex and it's very, very uh, ingenious. It comes from that legacy of poetry. And it's no surprise that that particular route um, spanning all the way forward influences the people who hear it and then the people who give the message. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember when I was reading Can't Stop, Won't Stop by Jeff Chang. It's like a really great book on the history of hip-hop chronicling it. One of the things that I walked away with was, you know, hip-hop is the original meme culture of the yes. internet. You take wow. something, you... You, you take something that other people understand, other people recognize immediately, they, they love it, they, mm-hmm. you quickly see, and then you, you flip it, you remix it, you make it your own, mm-hmm. you add on top of it, you build on top of the foundation that was laid before you. And that's one of the things that I love most about hip-hop. You got all these kids who didn't grow up learning an instrument, mm-hmm. but they learned that MPC, they learned yeah, that AR. Yeah. So they start mixing things and taking this and this, they got their their uh, turntables they create a new thing from something that people know and recognize and love and it becomes its own thing i i remember um getting into a period of my life where i wanted to listen to the samples that they used in a song mm-hmm. and then feeling so like filled with this like appreciation you know people will say oh well they just stole it from such and such but like I look at the ability for them to listen to a piece of work, to almost break it down, to have it in their hand, like a 3D image and say like, well, let me take this piece and this, um, you know, we'll, we'll flip this, uh, this tempo a little bit, make it a little faster. We'll add this to it. It's a craft in and of itself to sample something. When you hear the original work, I just, I get this feeling I really can't describe. Like I was listening to um, Doing It by LL Cool J and the sample that they use, like just in the very beginning, is my jamaican guy by um grace jones and just to hear it it was like how did someone think to themselves let me take this one piece and just repeat this Mm -hmm. and then you see the layers that they put on top of it and you're like damn like how did they come from these all these parts and put it together. And I'll take it one further. Uh, I used to listen to those same things. Uh, shout yeah. out to the Soul Man tapes where they used to ex- expose to you what the original sample was. And then yes. they played the beat right after. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, how did they do this? And I remember the first time I heard one of those tapes, uh, there was like some or- orchestral music mm-hmm. that DJ Premier listened to. And he literally took two seconds from one part of the song three seconds from another part, mm-hmm. three seconds from another part, and just repeated that over and over again, and he just tapped on his MPC in a certain sequence that all of a sudden you've got these classic gangstar beats. you got yes. these classic uh, um, beats from like people that you're like, how did he come up with this? How did he let his mind connect these three different things and then turn it into something else amazing? Uh, like any sort of mid-twenties person we'll just shift gears like real quick um you know when when you're experiencing pop culture and things are speaking to you the old generation you know has a song that really connects with them and i think there's a little bit of it it's a feels like someone stole like that moment from you that connection with music and so when we have our remix it's almost like you're you're taking something that's mine it's it's very much a possessive thing but Music was always meant to be played with, to be remixed, to be redone. And so I have a greater appreciation of the things that they take and redo um, as someone who's a little bit older. I was a contrarian in my you know, mid-20s like because pop music wasn't speaking to me anymore. Um, I wasn't the audience. And so I spent a long time like away from hip-hop, uh, not listening to any new artists. I can tell you when I was in the thick of sort of consuming pop culture, I could, you know, have a family tree of 
this artist and that mm-hmm. artist and who was with who and who was on this remix and who was on this album, whatever. But I was out of the loop. And uh, confession time, who got me back into hip hop? Uh, Macklemore. I'm so what? ashamed. I'm so ashamed. Oh my goodness. On the bleak outlook of all shows is what you choose to reveal this. <sighs> We're trying to be open and honest about who we are as individuals. And that's what it means to be in the bleak outlook. You know, it's like, just lay down that shame. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but I quickly pivoted off there and started downloading all of, like, Talib Kweli's albums. So then I felt better. Because okay. he'd been holding it down for, like, the whole time while I was on my bender. You know, saying, like, oh, ain't no, there's nothing good out here, da-da-da. Right, so when I sort of came home to hip hop um, and had started, uh, you know, re listening to things and downloading albums or whatever, legally. Um, <laughs> just, I had to say that. Statue of limitations passed. Don't worry. Uh, sweet. All right, sweet. Uh, Napster was already dead anyway. Um, so the, the album that really like struck me was Good Kid Mad City. In in a storytelling aspect. Cause you know, we're talking about poetry. We're talking about, um, sort of an album or rather rap artists, uh, having very complex ways that they express themselves in, in the poetry of rap and crafting, not only just like a brilliant verse, but a brilliant song and a brilliant, brilliant album. And, uh, good kid, mad city was like a fictionalized account of life in Compton and it was the first time that I really looked at a whole album and thought to myself, like, he's telling like a whole story about um, the youth there, the things that they do to occupy their time, the lack of economic responsibility, uh, not responsibility, but the lack of economic opportunity, where he says in one song, home invasion was persuasive. And you think to yourself, that's crazy. Like, y'all don't want to like play ball in the park. You guys don't want to. But think about it as there's nothing to do for one and two there's nothing in my pocket. So that almost has like some you kill, kill two birds in one stone type of thing. Would you call that economic anxiety? <laughs> we put a name to it and we know what it is. And, and now we can, uh, you know, work around it. Um, and also in the album, he refers to uh, Compton as a, he says uh, Compton USA. And I almost thought of it like how they say every town USA to kind of give you the illustration that what's happening in Compton, the robberies or the the shootings or the gang violence is happening many more places than people would like to to say. So I um, that for me is a great illustration of journalism almost to um give an account of of the way things are to show the reality so i mean that's that's kind of just my take on it and it's funny that you mentioned that uh specifically the part about storytelling because for me uh it's kind of basic but one of my favorite examples of storytelling in hip-hop is i used to love her by mm-hmm. common now i'm sure everyone who who's listening right now said oh i knew that was about hip-hop instantly by the end of the first verse well I was 10 years old at the time that song yeah, came seriously, out. Seriously, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> I knew by the around the second verse, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
He's not talking about a girl. He's talking about hip hop. Oh my God, you can do that? Like, I didn't know that till the end because that was the point. Yes. And then I kind of blew my mind after that. Guys, I was in fourth grade. Yes, you know? I, we hadn't gone, we hadn't done the chapter on personification yet. All right. Mm-hmm. But that opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like it made me more willing to pay attention in school to, uh, you know, the, the, the unit on poetry because I'm saying, okay, I hadn't considered this. This is something new for me. This is something exciting. Common is exposing me to hip hop. And all I knew at that time was hip hop in New York and what I saw on the box. RIP <laughs> the box. Jesus. But, oh, box selection 671. <laughs> oh, man. I still remember when my aunt got that first bill and she just laid into us. Wow. Who ordered all of this on my TV? What is this? How many times did we order? Onyx Slam. Yeah, uh, like an entire summer, boy. (laughs) When that bill came at the end of the month. But, you know, that aside, you know, I used to love her. Just really opened my mind up to say, okay, you know, he's talking about hip-hop, you know, at his birthplace in New York. Then it goes on this excursion to the West Coast. And then the rampant commercialization that happens in the mid-90s. And I connected with that in a way that no poem in a textbook mm-hmm. could have exposed me to. You know, we all know the old trope of, you know, the teacher goes to the inner city and uses hip-hop to teach poetry to kids. Uh, for me, I was actually one of those losers who that actually applied to. Because <laughs> I went back to school and I was like, all right, I'll pay attention to this E.E. E. Cummings dude. Yeah. All right, you know, oh, Langston Hughes, yeah, I definitely want to hear uh, what he's really, got to yeah. say. What you got to say, bro? Because, yeah, you know, Harlem, uh, the whole, when we got to Harlem Renaissance, I was like, oh, yeah, personification. I know that. That's how I used to love her. Yeah, yeah. You really, you coming in. Listen, when they talk about the Harlem Renaissance in school, you just kind of like shimmy as soon as you get in the class. Like, okay, what are we going to discuss today about black exactly. people? <laughs> and it just opens your eyes up to these things that you never considered. And I think that's an important thing that hip hop offers. You know, um, Chuck D had the saying that hip hop is the CNN of the ghetto. Uh, in other words, it's the way that you learn about what's happening. Because in all honesty, the news wasn't coming to Bushwick. Well, at the time, Bushwick was predominantly black. Uh, they weren't coming unless there was something violent happening, you know, mm-hmm. unless there was some shooting or yeah. some, you know, if it bleeds, it leads type of story. Sure. Uh, they weren't going to Houston in, in mm-hmm. the Southwest. Uh, they weren't going to Atlanta and East Point. And I learned about all of these places, all these different yes. cities mm-hmm. because of the stories that were told by yes. these rappers. Mm-hmm. Only my knowledge of geography and when I was in <laughs> elementary school, all I knew was like, Name a rapper, any rapper in your mind. E-40. E-40. He is from the Bay Area. And you know what I know about the Bay Area? Mm-hmm. I know that there were a lot of Asian people that went there and the, during the gold rush. A lot of people mm-hmm. from the white people from the East Coast went there during the gold rush. Mm-hmm. And a lot of black people went there as well. And you know why I know that? Because E-40 shouts out the Bay Area <laughs> all the time. And I'm like, what's the Bay Area when I was a kid? And I go and I look in the encyclopedia, Bay Area, San Francisco. I learned the history of San Francisco. Englewood, always up to no good. Like, oh, where is that Because on the map? a rapper said it. Exactly. And that's how it is. Like, you, I know about Houston be, because of uh, the Ghetto Boys mm-hmm. um, or, or UGK. I, I know about uh, Chicago because of Common, because of Crucial Conflict. I know yes. about Atlanta because of Outcast, because of Goody Mob. Mm-hmm. All these people that were telling these stories about their place and exposing me to a whole new world that I hadn't seen day to, yet. Day-to-day yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. Day-to-day life. Um, I was just listening to Outkast, and uh, it was um, it was Elevators. And it says, if um, 
if you don't move your feet, then I don't eat. So we like neck to neck. Mm-hmm. That's a real story because it's, it, we want to gas somebody up and say like, oh, you know, you're doing so well for yourself and da, da, da. But this is like, this is a reality where this is work. And if, and if this is, this is selling my art, this is, uh, my creativity. So if you're not buying it, then, then as much as you think I'm living large, or you much as you think I have this, this freedom and this, uh, uh, this whole experience separate than yours, I got a job just like you. Mm-hmm. And it actually, my livelihood depends on you. So that's a really important little, just a slice of life. And I think that news is never telling you the slice of life and the journalism in rap is. Um, but what I do want to ask you though, I want to get your opinion on this. So we talk about good kid, mad city and shootings, um, you know, that are, that are part of the story. Mm -hmm. People who are killed for retaliation, whatever, what colors are you wearing or, you know, where do you stay where your mama stay as, uh, assessing you like your territory, like Mm -hmm. what associations you have. What do you think about when people always talk about how rap glorifies violence or glorifies, uh, you know, jewelry or glorifies things like that? Like, what does that mean? Okay. I think that the only way I can describe that, and excuse the language I'm about to hear, disingenuous bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Because let me ask you something. Of every aspect of popular culture, Name one that doesn't glorify violence, quote unquote. You know, why is it that we allow ourselves to say, you know, The Sopranos is one of the greatest pieces of storytelling in television history. Oh, my God. It's so true. You learn about the complicated intricacies of mob life and the dichotomy of a family man trying to manage both his family and his crime family. You see the two worlds colliding. And he has panic attacks, too. Exactly. Mental health. He's seeing a therapist, too. Okay. Yet somehow that's more valuable than Jay-Z going on reasonable doubt and telling you all these stories, which are clearly embellished, which are clearly not accurate representations of what he did, because otherwise he would have been on trial for murder 17 times by now. (laughs) It's not a confession and they can't prove it. Why is that less artworthy? Why is it less artworthy for Ice Cube, who wasn't a gangster, but painted a picture to me so vividly of Mm -hmm. life in Compton, straight out of Compton? Why is that not art as well? Wow. And and that's why I led with The Last Poets is because we refuse as a society to believe that rap is art, that it is mm-hmm. intelligent, that it is complex. And sometimes it doesn't have to be complex. Um, I'm just going to tell you, I was at like um, an outdoor festival yesterday and they had a band, live band. Now, this is in a um, what I like to call a monochromatic area. Um, you can, you can take that as you will. Um, (laughs) but the band was playing a song called day drinking. Now this is a family event with everybody like pregnant women all the way to teenagers there. So you playing a song at a family event called day drinking, but you want to tell me that, um, (laughs) that a rap song is somehow like harmful in just it being played. That's very interesting to me. And I remember going to, I took my daughter to a birthday party and I know that people like redo a song cause they don't want to pay for licensing and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it was like American boy by Estelle and Kanye. Oh, kids bop. Yes. They kids bop uh-huh. that shit. Right. But they took out the rap. 
And I was like, could they not find someone to rap or do they figure that kids shouldn't listen to rap? So that's. Does he even like say anything inappropriate? He doesn't. He uses the word bespoke in the rap. I'm like, (laughs) it's in your interest to let your children listen to this. They will learn a vocabulary word. See? Listen, I'm 35. I'm still not exactly what bespoke (laughs) means. So if your 10 year old is walking around talking about bespoke, then you need to be very thankful to send send a bouquet of flowers to Kanye. Well, yeah. maybe, actually, you know, mm, he's problematic, but maybe not. But just be thankful that your kids learned it. Lower. Is it that they don't want you? They people's sort of bigotry and prejudice means that they almost get kind of like they feel some type of way when you learn something intelligent from a black person. And there it is. Mm. And I think that's the reason why everyone gets hung up on hip hop is. Uh, not not good for the community. Hip hop tears us down because they don't recognize uh, that intelligence in in black people. I don't care what mm. anyone says. One of the, I learned just as much from like Andre three thousand <laughs> and Nas. Nas, I used to listen to Nas with a freaking dictionary next to me. Exactly because Nas would say words that I, like when I was like eleven and twelve, I was like, "What is that? What word does count. that mean?" Check the like, word. Check the word count. On these albums, check the word count. I I remember when I was young, um, I used to always play Life's a Bitch on my birthday. <laughs> uh, and you know, he goes, I woke up early on my born day. I'm 20. It's a blessing to essence of adolescence. Leave my body now. I'm freshening. The first time I heard that, I go, what is adolescence? <laughs> Literally, as I'm going through adolescence, I hadn't been exposed yeah, to that yet. Yeah. And here I is, this rap guy is making me go and learn more about what I'm going through and uh, learn more about this huge part of your human identity. You mean to tell me there's no value in that? What a huge secret. Hold on. Rap is intelligent. Who, who Don't do? tell them. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. And that can be a separate episode all in and of its own. Yeah. But another thing I wanted to ask you about. So, Geraldo, who... um. I mean, I think he needs to stay in his lane because, you know, that, um, what do you call it? Uh, what's his, what's the gangster Capone? Oh, the Al Capone too? Yeah. He needs to really like, you need to look about that and worry about yourself. But (laughs) I heard a clip of him saying that rap is more harmful to black and brown people than racism, which I want, I want to like laugh out loud. Um, but I know that people are taking this message and they're like, mm, that's, I think so too. Uh, hold on. I, I got to look this up, Siobhan, one second. <laughs> I think that, for, for instance, hip hop. Hip hop has done more damage to black and brown people than, than racism in the last 10 years. When you, when you find the youngster, a Puerto Rican from the South Bronx or a black kid from Harlem who has succeeded in life other than being the one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent that make it in the music business, that's, that's been a success in life walking around with his pants around his ass and with, uh, you know, visible uh, uh, t- tattoos or, you know, it's, it is this whole ethos, and I, I love Russell Simmons. He's a, he's a dear friend of mine. I, I admire his business acumen. At some point, those guys have to cop to the fact that by encouraging this distinctive culture that is removed from the mainstream, they have encouraged 
people to be so different from the mainstream that they can't participate other than, you know, uh, the racks and the garment center and those entry-level jobs. And I, I lament it. I really do. I think that it has been very destructive culturally. Okay. Okay, First so, of, uh, okay, that re- <laughs> that deserves its own episode. And I really want, like, a transcript of it so I can break down every single thing that he said. Here's another thing about rap music. It subverts the mainstream. Rap music is the mainstream culture. <laughs> Walk into any mall in America, and, and he talks about the black kid from Harlem and the Puerto Rican from the South Bronx. No, talk about the Irish kid in Connecticut. Yeah, in, <laughs> in Greenwich Village or, or Greenwich, Connecticut, yeah. who's walking around uh, imitating uh, these artists. And in some cases, becoming those artists, yeah, uh, becoming those Macklemores, uh, <laughs> becoming those G Easies, yeah, and no one, no one <laughs> blinks an eye of saying, "Oh yeah, this is really destructive." That's so stupid. Like, first of all, tattoos are you're more you're more likely to be having a tattoo if you're in MMA. Yeah, you're more likely to have a tattoo if you're in soccer which is yeah vastly white people exactly like this is this is stupid this <laughs> just, the logic doesn't even hold no it doesn't um and and shout out to Geraldo for uh bringing up russell simmons because you know whenever you say something racist i got a black friend you gotta excite your one black friend my black friend my dear friend russell i mean i love him but he's love just, the guy he's just he's a great guy good businessman one of the good ones <laughs> Oh, wait, uh, was I not supposed to say that? My bad. Oops, oops. What I mean by rap, sub- like hip-hop subverting the mainstream is that it tells a narrative separate from what the mainstream tells us. Mm-hmm. It tells us something different about the people who are in the ghetto, right? I don't even, and that, again, damn, we coming up with separate episodes every 10 minutes. Um you can have a separate episode about gentrification and and the view of the ghetto. I don't really like people using the word ghetto, mm-hmm. especially non-black people, because the concept of a ghetto is intentional. There's a reason why people are in this ghetto, and it's not because they wanted to be there. Um, so when you have an art form that is telling a story, an everyday life story of people in this ghetto, then you don't get to say to yourself, that all these people are criminals. Mm-hmm. You get to s- now these are mothers, these are matriarchs, these are hardworking black fathers, right? Which is against the image that we talk about with the absent black father, right? Mm-hmm. It subverts the narrative that the mainstream is always telling us about black people. And I think them hammering over and over again about hip hop and about rap music um, is is trying to fight back against that to say like, no, 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 there's nothing intelligent about what they say, and they're they're just glorifying, you know, guns and violence. Mm. Okay, so you go hunting with your children with real guns and shoot animals and slaughter them. <laughs> so, and that's American culture, is, is guns. So you can have a gun to shoot a defenseless animal that you actually don't need to killed to survive but in a economically uh starved area where i'm fighting for resources with other people and using guns to protect myself 
that somehow is like mm-hmm. right. No, uh, Shawana, I think you're being a little hard on Geraldo. As I think about it a little more, I think he might have a point because you know it was hip hop that created a system that allowed black people to be uh, far more likely to go to jail for long sentences for committing the same crime as white people. Oh, you know, you is know? that what started it? Yeah, that, it was hip hop. And you know, okay. it was hip hop that created red lines that prevented black people from gaining wealth through their homes. Right, uh, home ownership, right. Yeah. And uh, so we know that our tax money, though, is tied to uh, our tax money, their property tax, yeah. is how we fund our, our school education. Exactly, yeah. right? So is that. So rap is why we don't have better schools. Yes, it, that's why. And, you know, it was also hip hop that allowed um, black uh, soldiers to be denied the GI Bill. Oh, really? That gave them the gave so many white soldiers that social mobility. You know, when you come home, you okay. serve your country, you risk your life for, for war, mm-hmm. you risk life and limb, sometimes okay. losing one or the other. And you come back and you're either in a grave or you're in the same place where you were because the GI Bill that was supposed to get you an education mm. and get you money for a house yeah. didn't didn't apply to you because structural racism said, no, you can't have those things. Oh, no, no. Rap did that. Oh, yo, I'm sorry. It was, <laughs> it's I'm, so, okay, I'm yeah, so it's sorry. No, no, no. It's it fine. Was, it was hip, it's hip-hop's fault. It's hip-hop's fault. Yeah. And you, you know, um, I was also thinking, too, um, during FDR's presidency and the New Deal, I believe the Homestead Act that was um, offering free land to people mm-hmm. going out west, but it actually restricted black people from that um, advantage. Was th- Were they restricting it because of hip-hop? Yeah, it was definitely hip-hop. Oh, no, shit. 40 years bef- prior to its invention. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but don't forget, Siobhan, you know, it was hip-hop is also the reason why Oregon was specifically built as a white utopia and mm. put it on the books that only white people could live there. Okay, and black yeah, people yeah. Go. Mm. And, you know, Geraldo's probably sitting at home saying, guys, I said in the past 10 years, but Geraldo's right because in the past 10 years, yeah. hip-hop has been the blame, not racism, you know, not that... You know, forget the fact that the racism problems that we just named okay. are still <laughs> okay. affecting lives today. Right. And that the entire point of general uh, generational wealth and mm-hmm. social mobility, that's all tied to black people being denied access to the tools that allow those things to happen. Mm. Yeah, the, the proximity to whiteness. It's a people, hell of a drug. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's another that's, that's another episode, y'all. <laughs> Along this this vein of, of news and and people in the news creating narratives that are that are not true, and rap music is sort of subverting it by creating a true picture, a fictionalized but more true picture of of everyday life. So, I'm gonna yield to you as the content expert in this, but why is hip hop actually journalism? Well, first of all, we go back to, like we said, Chuck D. The quote has been pretty much used to death, but he says hip-hop is the CNN of the ghetto. Now, Mm, beyond wow, I wouldn't even say the ghetto. I think it would have been more accurate for him to say, because, you know, by the way, he's not from the ghetto. He Mm -hmm. grew up in a suburb. So he should have said hip-hop is the CNN of black voices. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, CNN was not listening to black voices. CNN was... Following just like everybody else. News all the time. we got to put something on. Mm-hmm. So whatever the story of the day is, we're going to run with it. Mm-hmm. See, black people 
didn't really have a voice in media and they still a lot of us still don't right now we're underrepresented in newsrooms Mm -hmm. we're underrepresented in assignments and editorial yes we're underrepresented in management Mm -hmm. so the people who make the decisions that affect how our voices get told and who get to tell our stories yes don't look like us damn the one place where that did happen was hip-hop and okay. at a time, this is before pre-internet, before this is pre-social media. So mm-hmm. you didn't have the opportunity to just say, you know what, I'm going to start my own thing and I'll reach the world. Like you had the local black press, but that press only reached Atlanta, Alabama, North Carolina, New York. There was no Oakland. cohesion of yeah. that message. Yeah, There wasn't one product or one uh, episode or whatever that you could put out and spread to the entire country. Mm. But hip hop was that. And you heard about people's lives and their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Like right now, everyone has the true crime podcast obsession, right? Yes. When are they going to do a a true crime podcast on the Supreme team? The notorious drug dealers in Queens Mm. from the eighties and nineties. Wow. You know who did that? Who? 50 Cent. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for my sins. If you've heard Get a Quran, you heard a lot about, you know, those drug dealers. Mm-hmm. You heard Nas drop their names. You heard Jay-Z and Biggie, like, give you these quintessential New York stories and expose you to things that you did not inform your things you did not know about. Vice Lords in Chicago. Exactly. When wow. when Tupac says, um, tell the little lady in the liquor store that she's forgiven, for, so come home. I didn't know about the story of the girl who was shot because she mistake the store clerk mistakenly thought she was stealing from her because she had orange juice in her bag and she was there to pay for it. Mm. And that lady, the Korean girl, sir, killed her. A young black girl sparked a lot of neighborhood uh, animosity. But Tupac is saying, "Oh yeah, she's forgiven, so come home." That exposed me to that story. That mm. is journalism. The yeah. Journalism is about chronicling. And exposing people to stories that they might otherwise not be aware of. Wow. So this is happening in hip hop. And for me, hip hop is literally the reason I became a journalist. <laughs> like I used to go into Barnes and Noble and I would grab every magazine and I would look in the mass head and I would sit there for hours and I wanted to consume everything there was to know about hip hop. I wanted mm. to know where every rapper was from, mm-hmm. who had beef with who, what did this yes. person used to do. To me, the stories and you know the profiles that people used to write about rappers mm-hmm. were just as interesting as yes. the actual music that was being put out. Mm-hmm. And that inspired me and said, you know what? I'm gonna someday. I'm gonna be a writer for Double XL. I'm gonna be a writer mm-hmm. for the Source. I'm gonna yeah. be an editor for the Fader. And that was yeah. like, I'm like, this is what I'm gonna do in mm-hmm. college. And you know, in 2005, uh, actually, let me back up before then. When I was 17, I actually got to co-found the 305.com which was yeah. like the the most notable website for underground hip hop in Miami at the time. Mm-hmm. And it blew up beyond what me <laughs> or my co-founder had thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Joe Diddy. Um, and it gave me a chance I, to interview people and learn their stories mm-hmm. and represent them in a fair way and share some things they might not have wanted me to say, but at the same time, I thought were purring into the story. Mm-hmm. So I got to interview Pitbull in a barbershop wow. before anyone outside of Florida really knew who he was. Mm-hmm. This was like very early in his career. I got to, I had the privilege of interviewing Sean Price before he passed. Wow. That was like a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm writing for all hip hop.com in 2005. I started writing for hip hop DX and 
I was writing about hip hop and music, but I was at the same time I'm also a big nerd and a big gadget fiend. Of course. So I transitioned into tech writing mm-hmm. and tech journalism, and the same principles applied. I wanted to tell cool stories. I wanted to share people things, mm-hmm. w- share with people things they might not have considered about products rather than rappers. Mm-hmm. And for me, all my entire life trajectory was influenced by hip hop. <laughs> uh, in third grade. Miss Tucker said, oh, you're a good writer. You know, you you have a way with words. And the reason why is because I was listening to rap that my older brother had. Some stuff I shouldn't have been listening to. I'm telling you, I'm looking at that stuff now. I'm like, (laughs) yo, parental advisory stickers there? Like that shit was They were there for a reason. (laughs) But at the same time, that interest of what hip hop sparked in me is why I was advanced from my age with, uh, with, uh, why I had the way with words. Why I... I did pretty good on my SATs for the language. Oh, yeah. Sucked at math. But the language, I, I, I held it down. And that's because hip-hop inspired that desire in me very early on. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's no way you can tell me that there's not any journalistic value or mm. there's not any built-in intrinsic storytelling that happens every time that Mike turns on. Yeah. Even if I don't like the music, mm-hmm. I will say... This is Atlanta circa 2004. Mm. And this guy, he's not as good as T.I., but he's still telling you what's happening in Bankhead. He's mm-hmm. still telling you what's happening in his area, of the, his neck of the woods. So I respect that forever. And ladies and gentlemen, that is why Andrew is part of this podcast. <laughs> because <laughs> real, recognize, real. Um, you have someone here who knows how to craft a story knows how to tell a story, knows how to take different elements, who is uh, adept at interviewing and, and getting out from um, individuals a, a, a thesis, right? Who is this person? How did they come up? What message are they sending? Um, how is their message influencing the world? You know, you think about someone like, a group like the Fugees, just them being Haitian and shouting out Haiti, was a big thing and 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 to to document that and say like okay now the tide of t- tide is turned now we have a group of people who are underrepresented now they're represented how does that change the everyday life for a Haitian mm-hmm. person who now knows that they're being represented someone is speaking for them and i love that recording of the history real time because hip hop really does a really great job of almost um just implementing the, like these flashpoints, these really interesting times in history and pop culture where, you know, all of a sudden now the game has changed. And what is it now? And who who is this individual influencing? Um, how is he influencing the community? So it's just um, there's no better person to have uh, telling stories than a journalist. Damn. Thank it's you. like I knew. It's, it's like you conceive this before you even realize it. It's like, you know what? I need to go talk to a journalist. Yeah. Get him to be around here. It wasn't a conscious thing, but now it's like coming together. It's like the <laughs> matrix. Like, oh. Or or that meme where the, the woman is like calculating. It's like all these equations. All the numbers going across yeah, the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, wow, that's amazing, actually. Um, that is the power of art and the power of thinking about art in a, in a different way and intellectualizing it to um, an extent where we can say, yeah, it, it has, it's complex. 
and it can have sort of um, negative impacts. You know, we're talking about doing drugs and some people, they hear something on a song and maybe, yeah, maybe they do try a Xanax or whatever, but you have someone who built an entire professional life off hip hop. And I think that's, it's really, it's part of life is you cannot take something as good or bad. There is positive and negative influence in, in anything. And I would prefer to just take it as it is and, and, um, pick out the good pieces, uh, enjoy the fun stuff and toss out the bad, you know, like, uh, wow. Thank you for that story, Andrew. Thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. And with that, we're going to go out listening to the song I referenced earlier that literally changed my life. I used to love her. Uh, shout out to Common for putting me on the path that made me a journalist and then working in then uh, digital marketing and PR now. So it's literally changed the whole trajectory. Like, you know, I might still be in Miami I might be in a, a lawyer or something mm-hmm. might be something different but hip hop put me on the path that gave me a career that was really fulfilling and I love it so thank you everyone for listening to me share my story and paying attention to everyone else to share their stories thank you so much this has been the bleak outlook with hosts Siobhan and Andrew thank you so much for listening for supporting us follow us on Instagram um, we'll see you next time Yes, yes, y'all. If you don't stop, set the beat, y'all. If you don't stop.